0: Psalm 46, starting in verse 1, I'd like to read the 11 verses to you, and then we'll move through it. God is our refuge, and God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is with is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Well, does reading this psalm remind you of any person or individual that might be called a pioneer of the faith? Uh, anybody back that you've studied in history that, that this psalm might remind you of? Because I, of course, have a, have someone in mind. But uh, anybody think of anyone that this psalm reminds them of? Okay. It would be Martin Luther, Martin Luther, Luther, the Reformation Luther. This is the, this is his, as we'll see later on, favorite psalm. Uh, so he certainly liked this psalm. Uh, can you think of any hymns or choruses based upon this psalm, Psalm 46? Umi's not here tonight. I don't know if we have any musicians. It doesn't look like it. Can you think of a song based upon Psalm 46? Well, have you ever sung this song before? Can you all see that in the back? A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient phone, it goes on and on uh, as this. Hymn is presented. You know who wrote it? Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. So it's a, a very popular psalm and a very popular hymn. Also, we, there's a chorus that we sang. Have, have any of you ever sung this chorus It's based on the first two verses? Um, I don't know exactly. Mike. You know how I sing. But it's like God is our refuge and God is our strength. A very present help in trouble. You ever sang that? Nobody's ever sung that except me? Like that. There's one? Okay. No, yeah, <laughs> Jack. Yeah, I said I can't sing. I mean, you know that. But that's that's a chorus that, that I've sung at, at various places. I think it's pretty popular. Um, Gary, have you ever heard that song? Before? That chorus? It's a good one. But it's based on one and two. So, yes, Romans one seventeen changed Martin Luther's life. And that, you know, to be the just shall live by faith. But again... This is the psalm that he loved. And he taught it. He taught it all through his life. And as I mentioned, it was his favorite psalm. Um, I think many people forget that the Reformation was not that easy a period of time. Yeah, it had its high points, but it was a tough time for Martin Luther. Very difficult. And it was dark and dangerous at times for him. And he got discouraged and distressed and depressed. But he would go back to this Psalm 46. And he had a buddy, I'm told, I read, by the name of Philip Melanchthon. And he'd say, Philip, during times of tough tough times, let's sing Psalm 46. And they would uh, go through and sing that particular song. There's a great Lutheran scholar, H.C. Leopold, who wrote that Psalms 46, he says about it, there are few Psalms that breathe the spirit of of sturdy confidence in the Lord in the midst of real dangers as strongly as this one. Psalm 46. Now, Luther's hymn, the psalm and Luther's hymns, calls God. You can see it right there in the first verse. Calls Him a refuge. Calls Him a strength. In the song, a mighty fortress. Calls God a bulwark uh, during trouble. And the emphasis is always on God. God is the one who's the refuge, not man, not people. God is the refuge, and he and no other in the universe is comparable to providing the refuge that he can. Now, where do people look for security today? Stock market? Did I hear it went up 500 points today? Yeah. 480. Hmm. Everybody's a lot more secure today, aren't you? You feel a lot better now. Things have gone up. Yeah, I'd be down by Monday. Mm-hmm. But uh, we certainly can't look at the stock market. We can't look at assets and, and we can't look at dollars uh, because who can you trust today? WorldCom? Is that who you put your trust in? Not me. Well, You can't look for security and special training, skills or talents because even the best educated and the most skilled, sometimes they go through reversals. You can't look at the family and friends and business connections because they're human. Like all of us, they're here today, they can be gone tomorrow. Well, the Reformers knew how unstable and uncertain things could be. But they knew that they could put their trust in a God who is unshakable, as we see here, cannot be moved, is trustworthy. Now, there are three stanzas with silas at the end in this particular psalm. And I'm going to break it down into uh, three categories and tell you the first one, Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to call us seeing God's power over nature. We're going to see God's power over nature. Now, the psalmist is looking to God for two kinds of help. He needed a stronghold into which he could run, into which he could flee when he was going through times of trouble. But he also was looking for a source of inner strength by which he could face difficulties, by which he could face calamities... And certainly he, this psalmist, knew the calamities and the difficulties that he was going in. You know, sometimes God shields us, and we don't even realize it. Hold your place there and turn over to ninety-one, Psalm 91, if you would, for just a moment. Psalm 91. Perhaps you've seen this verse before, but again, sometimes God shields us, and we don't even realize it. Look at verse 7 of 91, 7 and 8. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Sometimes God deals with us, and we're not even aware of it. Sometimes He protects us, and we don't even know. Well, let me ask you tonight. Has your world ever been shaken? probably everybody's arms would go up. You say, how many times? Uh, we all go through difficult times. Well, verses 2 and 3 talk about times like that. When your world gets shaken, when it get, turns up, upside down, you go through uh, calamities that you never imagined could come your way. And they happen. They happen to us because that's the way life is sometimes. Richard mentioned in the sermon uh, Sunday, about the tragedy over on the other side of Jackson and uh, I became a little more introduced to that because those people go to my son's church. My son is a music minister at Central North and uh, that family were faithful members there. It was a blended family. It was a family of uh, seven, uh, the husband and wife and five children and they had left uh, Friday for vacation. they had met and married about six months ago the uh, the husband and the wife and they were in this van and a dump truck uh, with a drinking driver, uh, lost control on the other side, and went across in their pathway as they were headed toward Jackson, Tennessee, and almost wiped out the entire family. Uh, the father and the mother were killed, and two of the children and uh, Peter said, "One of the one of the girls who survived. He gives voice lessons to a little ten-year-old that's in a hospital in uh, uh, Vanderbilt in, in Nashville. And uh, he said last night that she had come out of her coma and was now conscious. And they were getting ready to tell her uh, the news, the tragedy, the calamity. Yeah, you know, sometimes life is like that. It absolutely turns upside down. And I'm sure many of you could tell." of stories like that but uh it also causes me to uh, remember of a fine lady that many of you know or have heard of elizabeth Elliot. y'all remember her ever hear on radio or read of any, any of her books well two and three uh, of the psalms really reminds me of her therefore will not fear though the earth be moved the mountains carried in the midst of the sea the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Um, Elizabeth Elliot. You know her story? Her husband, Jim Elliot, was killed by Aka Indians in Ecuador while trying to reach them with the gospel right after he'd gotten out of uh, college. They'd met in college and got married, and he was killed down there. And after a period of time, she remarried. And her second husband was Addison Leach. And uh, shortly after they are married, He uh, comes uh, down with cancer, and she slowly watches him die right before her eyes. And she says that she related those experiences to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 spoke to her, and this is what she has said about this psalm. And I quote, In the first uh, shock of death, everything that seemed most dependable had given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such time, it is a profound comfort to know that that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. She added that the thing that is most needful to do is what the psalmist says later in this 46 to do. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, God is God whether we recognize it or not. But it brings comfort and infuses strength into our spirits to react on that truth. Elizabeth Elliot, some real strong words. And Psalm 46 was a great comfort to her. And certainly she knew of the power of God through difficulties. Now, uh, Selah, as we mentioned, is in here three times. It's after the third verse. And it means to stop and contemplate, to give thought. Whether we're singing this as a song, whether we're reading this, uh, the psalmist wants us to contemplate. He wants us to look at what we've just read or to look at what we've just sung. Now, the second stanza is verses 4 through 7. And in this stanza, God shows us his power over the enemy, his power over attackers. And he speaks of the city of God over those who could deliver his city. Now, the city of God is a major theme in the Scripture. I don't know if you know that, but the city of God is often found in Scripture. And it can mean several things. It can mean earthly Jerusalem, which is what it means here. It's talking about earthly Jerusalem tonight as we look at the 46th Psalm. But the city of God also can speak of people, the people of God throughout history. And there's there's a third meaning of the, the city of God, and that's the new spiritual Jerusalem, which I think we sang a song in our worship time Sunday about Zion. Same thing, the new spiritual Jerusalem, or what's oftentimes called Zion. And that's the symbol of heaven, which has been prepared by God as a dwelling place for the saints. That's the place that Abraham looked forward to. Hold your your place there and turn to Hebrews 11.10. Hebrews 11.10. Let's go to the New Testament right quick. Would you move there with me? Hebrews 11.10. And I'll read it for you. Are you quick? I still hear the pages rustling. It says, For he waited for the city, speaking of Abraham, for he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the place he looked for. That's the new spiritual Jerusalem. That's Zion. Now, as we look at verses 4 through 7, you wonder about who are the attackers. We know here that it's Jerusalem that's being attacked. Um, who do God's people need deliverance from? Uh, what earthly circumstances lay behind this account that we've read about? Um, why Who is God demonstrating His power to deliver people to? And I think the best choice, the best selection is going to be found in kings, second kings. And I, I want you to, to go through this with me to give you a better idea of what's happening as you read four through seven. All right, hold your place, turn to second Kings, Second Kings chapter 18. Could you do that? Second Kings, chapter 18. Protecting the city of God. Protecting Jerusalem. Who were the characters involved? What happened? Did God show his power? Uh, we're gonna see that in just a moment. Now I wanna read selected, and I'm gonna move through this, uh, very quickly, but if you're in the eighteenth chapter, you're at the first verse, and we'll see the main character, one of the main characters, Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah's king. He's king of Judah. And, uh, He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned for 29. Look at verse 3. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, God of Israel. He put his trust in Him. Verse 7. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Uh, Sounds pretty good. However, he goes through a time of compromise after this. And, he be, and in his compromise, he transgresses the covenant and begins to do things that he should not have done with the king of, uh, of Assyria. In fact, he ends up taking gold from the temple to give to the king. So he compromises his position. Uh, a few, few more things happen, and the king is still after him. Now look at verse 29 of 18. Uh, the king who's Sennacherib. Sennacherib's the king of Assyria. Verse 29, Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, uh, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will deliver us, and the city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. 32, he says, I'm going to come and take you away, Sennacherib. I'm going to take you away to a land of your own land, but I'm I'm going to control you. I'm going to rule you. Verse 33, has any gods been able to survive me before? And he goes in and talks about several other countries and several others that he's taken captive. No one has been able to handle Sennacherib. Everywhere he goes, he takes control. That's what he's saying. Now, but look at verse 36 in 18. But the people listening to Sennacherib and Rabshakeh, the people held their peace. And they didn't answer. Him a word. For the king, that be Hezekiah, commandment was do not answer him. Don't talk to him. Don't don't don't, don't listen to him. So we go on down, nineteenth verse. Uh, Hezekiah gets this information. Uh, Sennacherib, Rabshakeh, they're ready to, to do him in, they're ready to do Judah in, they're ready to take them all captive, and look what he does. He heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and went. Into the house of the Lord. Verse 3, And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble. We're in trouble. Remember back in, in the, the psalm now? Yeah, they're in trouble. And rebuke and blasphemy, blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. Four. I love what he does in the last part of verse 4. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that's left. Who is left? Whoever's left, we have got to get busy for God. We have got to. To bring up our prayers. So the servants of King Hezekiah. Came to Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet said to them. Thus you shall say to your master. Thus says the Lord. Don't be afraid of the words. Which you have heard. Which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him. And the last part says. I'll cause him to fall by his own sword. In his own land. Now Rabshakeh. Is kind of like Sennacherib's. Chief of staff. Now he's going to say a little bit. Verse 8. He returned, and verse 10 he says, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given unto the hand of the king of Assyria, because we're going to take it. Now down to 14. Hezekiah gets this letter, and look what he does. 14. He received the letter, read it, went to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord, and prayed. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And he cries out, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubims, your God, you alone, incline your ear. Hear the reproach of this Sennacherib. And then turn the the page or turn to 32 and you hear the last uh, words that come from, I believe, Isaiah. Isaiah who says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, He shall not come into this city. He shall not come into the city of God, nor shoot an arrow there. That's in Psalm 46. Nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city, Jerusalem, the city of God, to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. What happened? 35 through 37. Let's read. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there were corpses, all of them dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, not the, not the true god, not the living god, Nisroch, his god, while he was doing that, his sons, Adramelech and Sherazer struck him down with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ariat then Ershedon his son reigned in his place they attacked the city of God and God provided the protection so the point of i think the second ten, second stanza is God is our defense and God alone is our defense when he defends he defends and he just defends for his own sake. You know, I think about what we're involved in as a, as a country. And, I, and I'm told by some people that are experts in the field that we may be going into Iraq. Have you heard that? Some of you heard that? We may be getting ready to go there. And uh, we see all the world events that are happening. And yet so many people do not recognize God to be our God, the true God, the true and living God. And it makes me fearful at times, but I know he's our refuge. I know he's our strength. I know he's our help uh, during trouble. So our ultimate security really doesn't rest in an earthly city. It rests in a new city, the heavenly city, a city that God has prepared for us. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again where you are. We'll be together always. That where you are, I will be also. Okay. Power delivers people from the city and from the attackers. The last stanza is verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. And uh, we're going to call that or say that to be God demonstrating His power over the whole warring world. The world we live in today. The whole warring world. Look in verse 9. He makes wars cease. God does. God is the one who makes wars cease to the ends of of the earth. So God is the one who brings peace. But uh, how does he bring peace? Does he bring it through negotiation? You know, we've had several treaties down through the years. Uh, the SALT Treaty, negotiated disarmament treaties. We're always talking about treaties. Is that the way God brings peace? Does God bring negotiated peace? Uh uh-uh. uh God brings imposed peace. God brings it with His power, and it's, I suppose, like what happened uh, with Japan. Uh, through we did, you know, of course, men did it, but God was behind it. And perhaps what happened in Iraq, uh, when the Allies bombarded Iraq, and uh, they brought peace. They didn't talk to Hussein about it. They brought peace. And I hope I'm I'm not a warmonger, but I hope if they do it, if we go to war again, they'll finish it this time. Because that's the peace that God, that's the peace that he brings, imposes peace. He's God. Uh, He doesn't have to have our help unless he needs it. Okay, look at the next part of uh, this passage. I want to look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. That's what Elizabeth Elliot said gave her great peace. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, how many of you sleep with noise makers of some kind? Nancy does. Come on, be on. Okay. Yeah, you're you're telling me that everybody else it's perfectly quiet tonight when you go to sleep. It's going to be perfectly still and perfectly quiet when you go to sleep. We got a fan and we got a humidifier. And if we don't have that thing cranking it's hard for us to go sleep anymore. When I was in another church, we went on a retreat, and this family brought what was it, Laverna? What was that thing they brought? A what? they brought their venhood. They brought their venhood when we went on a couple's retreat, because they needed to sleep with noise. Now, does it, I'm sure there are some. Does it do any of you? Raise your hand if you sleep with nothing. I mean, I don't mean I'm not talking about clothes. I'm talking about noise. Noise. It's perfectly still. I, there's a few of them. Oh, well, there's more. Okay. All right. Bravo. Bravo. That's, that's very good. But uh, I don't know how many people do that. Be still and know that I'm God. Uh, perhaps some men in here were at, were at Promise Keepers in Atlanta several years ago. I don't remember the year, but I was there. And there were 70,000 in uh, the dome there in Atlanta. And whoever was speaking in one of the messages said for the next period of time we're going to be completely still before God. I don't want anybody moving. I don't want anybody talking. I want everybody praying. I want, and he he mandated it. I want everybody to be quiet. It was amazing. 70,000 men praying before God. Be still and know that I am God. I wish we could do that more, you know, in in maybe services sometimes, just just being still before God. He's an awesome God, and uh, he says be still and know I'm God, and then he says because I'm going to be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth be still and know that I am God Okay. notice in verses 7 and 11 you have two things the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our refuge let me make a couple comments on those and we'll close first of all the Lord of hosts the Lord of hosts means either one of two things It refers to the armies of Israel, the Lord of hosts, or it refers to angelic armies of God. Armies of Israel or angelic armies. Now, you tell me about the account I just read to you about Hezekiah and Sennacherib. Who do you think was dispatched to deal with the 185,000 Assyrians that were corpses the next day? Probably the angelic armies of God. And I have read in the Old Testament and there are a lot of accounts of that. Uh, There's one where Elisha um, is battling, I think it's Syria, and uh, his servant comes to him and says, Did you not know during the evening, Elisha, that the Syrian army is all around us? All around us. And... Elisha prays, God, show my servant who's really there. And he goes back and looks and sees angelic armies of God all around. He had seen before the armies of Syria. Elisha prays, and the angelic armies are there. And I think that's what it is here, the Lord of hosts. Um, So that's one thing. Now, how about the God of Jacob, our refuge? I see grace in this one. I see a picture of grace in the God of Jacob is our refuge. And why? Well, we know about him, don't we? We know quite a bit about Jacob. The third of three Jewish patriarchs. Would you say the most outstanding? Uh Uh-uh. The least outstanding of the three. He was called a schemer. It took him almost a lifetime to find God the way he needed to find him. And yet, the God of Abraham was Jacob's God too. And that's where I see the grace because I'm kind of like Jacob. I'm a pretty good schemer. and you others good at that? I can scheme too. And the God of Abraham is my God too. And that means much, much grace on my account, to my account. Okay. God's with you at all times, even when, when we're near death. And I need to, I would like to tell you just this, this short statement from John Wesley, another one, another old-timer that was a great man of God back in history. It is said on his deathbed that he raised his hand, and they could barely hear him. And he said, the best of all is God is with us. And they said about two minutes passed. Everybody knew that death was near for John Wesley. And the second time, he said, raised his hand on his deathbed and said, The best of all is God is with us. What a great God we have. A mighty fortress is our God. Now, if I could sing, I'd have you sing it with me. But look at at those words uh, that are in that song. He is a mighty fortress. He is a bulwark. He's all those things. Look at verse 2. Did we do do it in our own strength? Our striving would be losing. If we didn't have the right man on our side, the man of God's choosing, don't ask, Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age, the same. And He's going to win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. And like we saw tonight in those examples in in Psalms. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to, to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. They may kill the body, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. And his kingdom is forever. Yes, a mighty fortress is our God. Is he yours? I hope that he is. I hope it gives you great confidence tonight to know that he has power over everything. He is in control. And he's our God, our personal God. Let's pray.